If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-US wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And go in the air, deep right center go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, watch it go. Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love Welcome into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Now, let's jump into the show. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of BSN Rockies. And on this episode, I want to talk a little bit about these first couple of games with the St. Louis Cardinals, some of the things I've noticed inside of them, the first win in the Rockies career for Chichi Gonzalez. And actually, I did want to talk about that a little bit more. But I want to begin today, uh, this first segment here, with... The topic that's been going around, I, I, it's just the elephant in the room. It would be silly for me not to discuss it uh, because it very much became a part of my existence, I suppose. This day, I went in to record the Denver Sports Podcast, which I hope you all are enjoying uh, that when we all get together the the four major sports and i guess we're talking to some of the college sports now too which has been fun especially with the buffs having quite the start to their season but you know we, we had planned several days ago to do this segment where we anticipate whatever the hottest take of the week is going to be whatever that that twitter comment is going to be or however you might define it and and, and sort of try to get out in front of it and then see if anybody comes out and says the thing that, that you're predicting was going to be said. And 
I can't prove this to anybody other than maybe uh, Ali Monroy of BSN Denver, who is our you know lead on that podcast and also head of video. She's really like a superstar of the whole company. She does a lot of fantastic work. But the point is, I came in fully prepared to try to get out in front of a take that by the time I got to the office, I had already taken over Rocky's conversation. It was basically this. I had even written it down. It was going to be the Rockies collapse at the end of the season has been so bad that they should trade Nolan Arenado. And I did not realize that there was going to be an article by a baseball writer for whom I have a great deal of respect, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, who suggested pretty much exactly that. Now, it's interesting. So I read the article, and doesn't necessarily come right out like the whole thing isn't really framed around a trade of Nolan Arenado or what the Rockies might get back or how they could move on from there it's it's really more uh, a philosophical article about how difficult a position the Rockies are in and how they're going to have a difficult time building and rebuilding and I disagreed with quite a bit of it and anyone who's listened to this podcast before quite frankly they're there wasn't anything new in there that I haven't already addressed on here before. The reasons why I disagree with the notion that the farm system being low rated means that there's no young help on the way. But but it was all, all of the arguments. And it was actually an extraordinarily well-made argument because Ken's a smart guy and a great baseball writer, uh, one of the best. But ultimately... It did not come from the perspective of someone who's thinking about how the Rockies are going to try to win baseball games in the near or long-term future. It, it really didn't. And a couple of times it, it kind of tried to make that a part of the conversation, like I said, by suggesting this is kind of the only way that they can rebuild, which I think shows, quite frankly, a lack of understanding i'll say of of the full organization what's going on here why the rockies were good in 2017 and 2018 why they were building steadily up and why they're bad this year what are the specific reasons why they went from being several games over 500 going into the month of the trade deadline some people were still talking about i was one of the people still talking about how they could be buyers and it it was it was 50 50 there for a minute to to think that the last two months of baseball have been so bad that a team ought to consider, after having made the postseason in back-to-back years, trading a once-in-a-generation talent in the middle of his prime. I'm sorry, you don't get equal value. You can't do that. You're, if you're trading Nolan Arenado, you are punting on the next two or three years of your franchise you've probably got to trade charlie blackman as well it it wouldn't make any sense to trade one and not the other you get what you can for him at this point i've talked about why the the big thing is the rockies just don't need to be in rebuild mode and this is a way premature take this is eight months after the guy signed an extension that a lot of people never thought he was going to sign to begin with it's just 
way, way, way too early for this talk. Now, if the Rockies get off to a terrible start next year, around the deadline would be the earliest that it would even make sense to start having this conversation. But right now, it really, really doesn't. And there's a point uh, where you go, okay, there's a fair argument to be had here to, to sort of go back and forth. But I do think some people like to gloss over the sort of fundamental insult of suggesting that a team trade a once in a generation talent in the middle of his prime because that's just you don't do you don't get fair value when you trade a guy in any sport that way for a bunch of guys so you can rebuild your farm system the Rockies have had a very good farm system before it produced the team they have now They've got to roll with these guys. And the thing that's, I, I, I think, the, the weirdest about all of this to me is that the most important factors for whether or not the Rockies are going to compete or not next year are John Gray, Harmen Marquez, and Kyle Freeland. And there's so much possibility there in either direction, to be fair, um, but that that just needs to be a bigger part of the conversation. And I, I, I feel like if you can't really run through a great reason you, you have to have a steadfast belief that all three of those guys are going to just not pitch well next season or two of the three are going to be very very bad next season that has to be your premise if you're saying the Rockies have got to trade Nolan Arenado because they have young talent they're getting caught in this weird technicality but it is not a wise notion for the Colorado Rockies to it's the wrong direction they need to be restocking they need to be building talent if anything they could afford to trade some of their young guys from the minor league system or even some of the guys who have made their major league debuts they can afford to be moving some of those guys for some talent that is a bit more established at the major league level the Colorado Rockies problem isn't that they don't have enough young guys with potential the, the Colorado Rockies problem is that they don't have enough guys who are proven major league talents who can get the job done and then go out in the offseason try to get some of those guys and it's going to be really interesting but this notion that they're really in a tight spot because the only way that they can get better is if they were to get reinforcements from the farm instead of it having be like well, no, Kyle Freeland's got to pitch better. Armen Marquez has got to take that next step. Ryan McMahon's got to play for the whole year like the, the way he has here in the second half. They need to get a healthy David Dahl. They need to get this version of Rymel Tapia, stuff like that. That's all. There are a lot of different ways that teams can improve. And so that, that was kind of a part of the, the opening premise of the thing was like, this is probably the only, other, the only way they can improve. And for me, again, that displays a lack of understanding of some of the valued assets that the Rockies do have and can move even upwards of if you wanted to get super crazy and take advantage of the high value season that David Dahl just had. But you're worried about the injuries, so you trade him for pitching. Like, there's a ton of things you can do before you start considering trading the best player in the history of your franchise who's going to go down as the best third baseman of all time who you know you can build a winner around who's one of the most consistent guys and the most clutch hitter in baseball over the last five to ten years but and with no you know and this is always my issue is that if you're going to suggest something like that you really ought to try to sell 
the other side of the trade. And that's the problem is when you don't put specific names, it's so difficult to say, oh, yeah, move that guy to and you could get a bunch of great prospects for him. Like, cool. And some of them won't work out. That's just not there has to be more to it than that. And the notion that it's the only way that the Rockies can get better is to trade from their best players when there's actually a lot of different ways that we've gone over on this podcast. I'm not going to relitigate every single one of them. If you're listening to this, you you know the ways I'm talking about. We've talked about how they can creatively get rid of some of the contracts in the bullpen or some of the, the fact that they do now have a bunch of guys in the outfield who can play. They can move one or two of them for a reliever here or there. There's a lot of things that can happen. And acting like the last two months, and, and, and this is the thing for me, and I've said this again before, and, and I don't, I don't like framing it where I kind of have to put down some of the guys who are on the team right now. But quite frankly, judging the overall quality of the Colorado Rockies in games that are being started entirely by pitchers who aren't going to be factors next season is just silly. Look, if the Rockies were still in this tailspin and they were throwing out Marquez and Gray and Freeland and Lambert, then maybe we could be talking about it. But you can't start talking about moving Nolan Arenado because Rico Garcia and Chichi Gonzalez can't pick up quality starts. Antonio Senzatella just got his first one since June 23rd. He, he's had to be in the rotation because everyone else is on the IL. That's not going to be the normal situation for the Rockies. And you can't look at game results when the most important factors are the things that are costing you games that are also just going to be completely different next year. Uh, so for, for me, it just it lacks foresight. We, we went over basically all of this with the Charlie Blackman thing. I honestly didn't think with the extension, there's still two years left on that thing. You know how many baseball games Nolan Arenado is still going to have to play in? I know he's upset right now. And, and, and here's another thing. Let's all step, take one step back for a minute and live in the real world where, yes, everybody wants to win baseball games. And, yes, Nolan Arenado is competitive. And, yes, he has made, gone on record and said he wants to be on a winning team. He wants to win baseball games. Nolan Arenado is going to be getting paid 30 to 33, $35 million in his mid-30s. Unless there's something crazy that happens in the next CBA, I don't see him walking away from that unless he's absolutely convinced the Rockies are not just going to have a tough time building, but that they're going to be terrible for the entire tenure of his contract. It's a lot of money to play in a place where you you're comfortable where you've been very very good you have had success as much as people on the outside and and this has always been what it is for me it comes back it's people don't believe in the success of the Rockies they don't believe that the last two years were real and that's a big part of why they don't believe the next couple of years are going to be anything for the Rockies and that's why they got to make moves like this that's the sort of perspective that it comes from is this underlying none of it was real to begin with and that's the part of it where I just kind of have to shrug my shoulders and say 
well, then I, I just fundamentally disagree with you. I think the Rockies were a very good baseball team the last couple of years. I think they had a chance to be a very good baseball team this year. Everything that could go wrong for them did go wrong for them, but I still think they have a chance to be, even if they don't make a ton of moves, and I think they got to be aggressive in the offseason, but they still have a chance to be a very good baseball team next year, especially if, like, it takes like two things. If Kyle Freeland rebounds strongly and Herman Marquez takes a step forward and then Gray just maintains, this is this team's right back in the thick of the hunt, at least for the National League wild card. With the exact same offense, things are going to be different in the bullpen. We'll see how different. But that's what's uh, absolutely crazy about it to me. I just don't think there are too many other teams in baseball. Oh, and, and I'll say one last thing on this because I, I haven't talked about it, but I, I just don't think there are too many other teams in baseball that people would suggest trading a generational talent in the middle of his prime after back-to-back postseason appearances. I, I, I think it shows a kind of underlying lack of respect for the organization, which is also why I think it caught on with a lot of people. Somebody said, in fact, I'll, I'll say it was my, my good friend uh, Brian Kilpatrick said to me on Twitter, he said, you know, I think it just confirmed what a lot of us have been feeling about the Rockies. And I, I didn't say this directly back to him. I actually focus, we, we were talking about some other stuff along in there too. But uh, to that part of it, I just want to say it, it didn't actually confirm any of that. It was just more of the same kind of suspicions about what Rosenthal thinks the Rockies are doing wrong, which is similar to what a lot of people here think the Rockies are doing wrong. And that's fine. I happen to disagree, but it didn't really confirm anything. There was no like hardcore like reporting of, yeah, for sure, this is how and why the Rockies mess up and Nolan definitely wants out. Like there was none of that. So uh, the, the other thing that was weird, and this was in the article, and I also saw some people suggesting it to me in an interesting way uh, which this seems to be getting linked up with the Dave Dombrowski firing and I haven't talked about it uh, yet uh, here on the podcast uh, mostly because I'll, I'll, I'll do the overall statement here you can't compare the Dave Dombrowski firing to literally anything it's apples to oranges but it was a preposterous thing for the Red Sox to do. And I think uh, the more I keep my ear to the ground, it had more to do with clashing personalities than with them. I'm sorry, but the, this take that the Red Sox have shown that they just have a higher standard of expectation and they demand excellence. And even though they've still got a decent record and they won the World Series last year, they're still going to make the tough decision and do what it takes. And I'm like, nope. They made a dumb decision for personal reasons, and they're being silly. It's not, and, and, and as I said on Twitter, comparing one preposterous thing to another preposterous thing does not make the first thing less preposterous. So saying, well, should the Rockies trade Nolan? I don't know. It might seem crazy, but so is the Red Sox firing Dombrowski. It's like, yes, right. Those things are both crazy, and the Rockies should not follow suit or any other thing. Or people say, see, they fired their guy. Why won't the Rockies fire Breidich? Like, those are two completely different situations. You can't, like, those are, you cannot compare them. Dave Dombrowski has only ever worked with teams that have gigantic budgets. He's built in very interesting ways, but he wouldn't know what to do if he was the GM of the Colorado Rockies. And I'm not sure, you know, Jeff Breidich would know what to do with a huge budget. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. 
And I know there are plenty of people out there that listening that don't think he knows what to do <laughs> with where he is and, and what he's got going on now. But the thing is, they're just very, very different situations. And the notion that you can take what the Red Sox did with Dombrowski and somehow hold it up as an example of what anyone else should be doing with anything anywhere is just, in my, my view, personally, quite silly. I, I don't think that it shows anything. And I was surprised to see that take out there so much. But, yeah, you don't... You make decisions about the people in your front office and the people on your coaching staff and the people on your roster based on what you think is going to help you win baseball games. That's it. Not because you're mad, not because you want to prove that You've got high expectations not to, quote, hold people accountable because so you think someone else can do a better job. You think you know someone who can figure out your situation and fix it. But when people go out and say fire X, Y, and Z, why don't they ever say hire X, Y, and Z? Why don't they ever say, hey, now I did see some people saying, hey, the Rockies should go out and hire Dave Dombrowski to be team president. Now, that could be interesting. I don't know that Dombrowski would have any interest in being a team president and not being a general manager. That's 100% speculation. And back to our old fun conversation about there's a lot more that we don't know than that we know. But, no, comparing the Dombrowski situation to somehow make trading Nolan Arenado look like a better idea is... A clear sign you're headed down the wrong path. A clear sign that while you're down that wrong path, you might want to grab yourself a nice six-pack of Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, maybe it'll help you remember that uh, Colorado Rockies and Nolan Arenado are kind of an institution together, and fans out here are still coming out to see this guy play, and they're out here drinking vanilla porters, oatmeal stouts. They're having the avalanche amber, maybe some strawberry sky enjoying the summer baseball season with the official beer of bsn denver hey i know we got some watch parties coming up soon i'm gonna be out there at a few of them they're not for the rockies obviously they're for other sports that are getting started but i'm gonna still be out there at them so if you're a fan of the other sports uh, we're usually doing them down at blake street tavern head over to bsndenver.com to find our events calendar see when they'll be but you can come talk to me about the rockies while we're watching other sports and see if we can figure this out together in the offseason as we go forward we got 17 more games here we're still talking a little bit of baseball going on so why don't i do that on the other side of a break come back and talk about these first couple of games against the cardinals hey if you're like me and you're trying to figure out how to be a mature refined adult or you just really like wine you have to check out my friends over at weinster Weinster is an innovative online direct-to-consumer wine club connecting wine drinkers with more than 110 of the best wineries in America today. What makes Weinster special is that the majority of wineries they work with are too small to attract the attention of retailers, meaning not only are you getting access to some delicious and hard-to-find wines, you're also supporting real people making real wine, not one of the few large corporations producing most of the wines available in stores. With Weinster, all you have to do is sit back and relax as they curate a hand-picked shipment from the best small wine producers in the U.S. Then, when you fall in love with a couple of wines, as a club member, you can have them sent right back to your door with no shipping cost. 
I especially love Weinster because it was founded by three CU Boulder alums. So sign up today with the code BSN25 to get $25 off your first shipment of wine and start being a real grown-up. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R. Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. Everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer like entire team instruction and fitness programs you know the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge positive attitude work ethic and fun that their summer camps provide your child will want to play on one of their teams check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more Welcome back into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the entire series with the St. Louis Cardinals. Thought at first I'd be doing just the, the first couple of games there, but didn't really have time to get another one of these in before the day game on Thursday. And so figured I'd wrap up the whole thing. The Rockies surprisingly take the set from the St. Louis Cardinals, two games to one, with the Cards salvaging the last game in the series. And really, even despite the final score in that last game, all of the games were close. The Rockies have played some of their more sound, fundamental baseball of the season in this series, which I think is probably still, if anyone is, is still watching these games, pitch by pitch, inning by inning, a pretty frustrating thing. Uh, to behold, uh, when you see all of the things, especially the way that the bullpen has been over the last week, the bullpen has been really, really good, and you just kind of shake your head and go, <clears throat> where has that been, you know, all season? But getting to, putting all of that aside, getting over all of that, uh, there were some really interesting things I thought that we saw in these last couple of games. Obviously, it, it did begin with a pretty quality pitching you you got a good game out of uh chichi gonzalez and a good game out of antonio senzatella uh, both of whom had had some pretty rough outings as of late now for chichi it was his second good one in a row he had one out there in la obviously uh we all remember that if, again if, you, if you're still watching where he got absolutely blown up at Coors Field. Couldn't get out of the first inning the last time he was at Coors. Uh, could only retire two guys and gave up, I believe it was seven runs there in that first inning. And just an absolute nightmare. And I even sent out the tweet after the game about how impressed I was with the fact that he was able to talk to the media at all and be in any way 
composed about it, and he was pretty remarkable. But then he goes out there on the road in L.A. against the Dodgers in their house and put up six really strong innings, uh, but the bullpen blew it behind him pretty much immediately upon him leaving the game. And in this particular case on Wednesday, they, they held up for him. I'm sorry, he pitched the game on Tuesday. The bullpen held it up for him, uh, particularly Carlos Estevez. Uh, we have seen Brian Shaw a couple of times come into these games and, and almost kick him away, and Estevez uh, save it a couple of times, not get the save at the end of the game. We're not talking about the stat there. We're just talking about a guy coming in. Really, he's played the fireman role, and it's been interesting to see the way that Jairo Diaz has really settled into the closer's job for now we obviously know that you know when Scott Obert comes back next season he's the go-to de facto closer but seeing Iro Diaz get these opportunities and succeed in them and even succeed in them through some tumult as it were they haven't been free and easy he's had base runners he's had leadoff runners he's had tight situations where he's almost blown the game he's given up a run here or there but still managed to get the save or hold for the win a couple of times. And, and that's the exact kind of thing that you want to see out of this guy. Remember, it's still Jairo Diaz's first full year of Major League Baseball. He's not a young pup anymore because some injuries and, and some personal stuff that's gone on in his life that we've touched on before. But he is still very much a young We'll make the distinction sometimes, Bud Black will say he's a young service time player. He doesn't have a lot of time against Major League competition, and he's showing really, really well for himself right now. And that's a big deal. The Rockies are still losing games because of Shaw, McGee, Davis, and though really they were already losing the one with the Davis-McGee thing. We'll get to that in the finale. But you feel... Much better about your bullpen going into next year if instead of one reliable guy, Scott Oberg, you feel like you've got three pretty reliable guys in Oberg, Diaz, and Carlos Estevez, who is now being used as a roaming fireman in the, in the toughest situation. If it's bases loaded, nobody out, and it's not the ninth inning, you know, where you're probably just leaving your closer out there, the proverbial pitching with no net. Any other inning unless he's created the mess himself, Estevez is the guy to come in and get out of that. He's shown the swing and miss stuff. He's shown the confidence. And Bud Black said the other day, you know, his overall numbers may not look super fantastic, but he's had one or two games where it just got away from him. For the rest of the season, for the most part, Estevez is very quietly emerged as a guy that Bud Black can count on in those big spots. Is he going to get out of all of them? No, that's that's tough to do. Sometimes you're going to give up the sack fly or somebody's going to put a ball in the gap and a bunch of runs are going to score even though it wasn't your mess and people are going to be mad at you anyway. That's the tough job of that kind of role. But Estevez has, I, am, I very much believe he has the mental capacity, uh, the drive, the want to, to want to be in those situations. I asked him about his adrenaline getting up for big strikeouts, and he admits to it. He wants those situations. He wants to get the big swing and miss, and he wants to go after the best right-handed, not that he don't want to go after the best left-handed hitters either, uh, but he wants Manny Machado, or Stanton's not in the league anymore if you happen to be facing him, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, 
whoever the other team's best right-handed hitter is, that's who Carlos Estevez wants to pitch to in those big moments where the game kind of hangs in the balance. And that's what Bud Black wants him to do. And if he's emerged as that and can continue to be that in a season where Jairo Diaz is your primary setup man and Scott Oberg is a quality lockdown closer for you, now you've got the three most important parts of your bullpen taken care of. You've got the two guys at the back end, and you've got another guy who can roam around and get out, get you out of messes. And then you just have to build from there. You have to decide which one of, or maybe two, of the three troublesome veteran prospects you can get rid of, not just to try to get out from underneath the money, even if you can't get out from underneath the money. You need the space. So you can give that roster spot to whoever in spring training emerges in a battle out of Wes Parsons and Philip Deal and Joe Harvey and maybe some guys you've brought into the organization and Yancy Almonte and maybe Tim Melville and Chichi Gonzalez are battling it out for uh, a long man spot in the bullpen. But you're suddenly this element of your team that has really been the thing other than Kyle Freeland, the bullpen has been the thing that derailed the season. Uh, The defense and Kyle Freeland come in sort of second and third uh, on that list, in my mind. And and we'll get to our big, you know, postseason autopsy of what went wrong here and what needs to be fixed. But for me, still by far the biggest thing is that bullpen because I have faith and analysis that tells me that Kyle Freeland is going to be better next season. Uh, similarly with Herman Marquez. Uh, I think John Gray is going to continue to do what he's done. And so I, I don't think you're going to have the same kind of problems in the starting pitching as you did last year or this year. I'm already putting it in the rearview mirror a little bit. And you're not going to have uh, a lot of the same issues that you had, uh, I, I think, on the offense. It's going to be a little bit different because of emerging young players. But for the most part, I think your offense is going to be roughly the same. I'd like to see them finagle it so that they can get the best out of their defensive lineup with the players that they pretty much already have. So that leaves you with having a massive overhaul of your bullpen. And a couple of weeks ago, that felt like you've got one out of eight relievers and you need to find seven. Now I think you've got three guys that at the very worst you feel pretty good about. Like if Estevez ends up being the fifth guy in your bullpen or the sixth guy in your bullpen, then you've acquired some pretty good talent. Some guys have emerged for you. That's a good position to be in. But as it stands right now, Each one of those guys is pitching like back-end, high-leverage, major-league-caliber relievers. And that's big news for the Colorado Rockies because that means that they need to go out and find one or two guys and then have this big, like I said, open competition to see who who can emerge amongst them and, and the guys they've already got in the organization, but particularly the way Estevez has been able to come in and pitch. And and let's remember, too, these Cardinals came into this series very much trying to win all of these baseball games. They came in hot. They're trying to win the NL Central. They're just a few games up there. It's a, They need to finish strong. Uh, they don't want to have to play a wild card game. Just like anybody else, they would much rather host the NLDS, and that's what they're playing for right now. They were doing everything they could to try to win those games. They're laying down bunts. They're stealing bases. The Cardinals were scrapping and clawing and doing everything they could to win all three of the games. 
and twice Estevez came in when they were at their heightened focus, really trying to get it, and he shut them down. That's, that's big stuff. That, that, that is big time stuff. It's, it's not quite the same as, you know, if the Rockies were trying to win the division and he did that. That's, still, that's more pressure, absolutely, for sure. But let's also not pretend that just because the Rockies are totally out of it, it doesn't really matter that, you know, Estevez happened to get two big strikeouts with runners at first and third and one out. You know, that's with, with the tying run being at third. For the Cardinals, that was a big deal, and they got beat in that situation. You know, so uh, congratulations very much to Chi-Chi. I, I've talked about it a little bit. I talked about it on the Denver Sports Podcast, but he just could not have been more excited in the post game. and good for him, man. He should get to bask in it a little bit. It's really, really hard work just to get to the big leagues, to get a major league win. I don't know what his future is going to hold, but on a personal level, I am rooting for that young man. He's a good dude, and it, it was cool to see the way even his teammates responded to getting him that win. It meant a lot to everybody, especially him, and I think that that's pretty cool. And then, you know, with Sensatella, we've got this very similar to Jeff Hoffman's situation of is there enough time to tell because Sensatella has also made mechanical adjustments. And this is something I was going to go into more in depth in the offseason. I, I think Sensatella is an extremely interesting candidate for a guy who can be tooled around with a little bit and still be very valuable for this club. Maybe as a fifth starter, maybe in the bullpen, but I do think he needs a mechanical adjustment. Typically, you don't make that. He doesn't get enough swings and misses. He's got to find a way to get a little more swing and miss with some of the stuff that he's got. And you can make some adjustments mechanically to maybe add some deception uh, maybe try to get a little more downward tilt on some of his breaking stuff there are things you can do and in fact they're doing them typically you know you you don't make that level of they've, they've been very small adjustments you don't want to make a, a great big like totally rework his delivery in the middle of a season even if you're totally out of the season but when you are totally out of the season the Rockies were mathematically eliminated from the postseason yesterday you can tweak a bit you can get experimental you, where you wouldn't if the team was competing. You don't want to start messing with stuff. And so, like with Hoffman, Sensatella has changed some things around and has gotten better results in a very small sample size, leaving all of us to wonder if there will be enough time in these final 16 games to tell if they're real or sustainable. And that's why I think... That next, why I keep talking about next season spring training and this big open competition, and I think it's going to be a big deal. And the Rockies are going to have, you know, a lot of nuanced stuff to look at. Who's really coming in, throwing the best, hitting their spots, moving stuff around. You can't get too caught up in results, but at the same time, if these guys have made the mechanical adjustments that are allowing them to get these better results, you also can't ignore it. And now they've got. Hoff goes tonight, right? Yeah. So they've got Hoffman on the hill against the Padres, who don't have as much to play for as the the Cardinals did, but still, you know, are a team that that they're frustrated at their season. They thought they were on a big upswing and they were going to be more competitive this year, and they find themselves 10 games under. And if the Rockies have a nice little series here, they could pull it to within. Maybe the Padres will finish in last place and the Rockies won't. There's something to play for a little bit. But still the far more important thing is, 
how do these pitchers who are younger than 26 years old handle this final stretch and and who emerges as a piece you can legitimately feel confident in as a potential plus value next season and I two weeks ago I really didn't think Hoffman was going to be one of those guys and I was pretty skeptical about where Senzatella was at but I think you've got to keep them at the very least in mind and and watch them very closely as they continue you know, here down the stretch. But by far the best news for the long-term future of the Colorado Rockies after these last three games was the performances of Jairo Diaz and Carlos Estevez. Uh, game three was just one of those games. Man, look, we all, we all love Tim Melville. We all love the Tim Melville story. Um, I still think he can figure out a way to find some success in the league. But I, the Cardinals came in with the right approach. I was actually meeting up with a friend of the podcast, Mitch, shout out, uh, before the show, I'm sorry, before the show, before the game, and uh, right before the very first pitch of the game, he was saying, so what do you think about Melville? I was saying, well, if it's, you know, if the ball's flying out today, it's, it's kind of hot. If they're coming out swinging for the fences and they can get some lift and he makes a couple mistakes, it's going to be a long day for him because the way you have to attack Tim Melville is basically to hit home runs on him. They, you you guys aren't built to single him to death the other way off of his good pitches you have to wait for the mistake and then when the mistake comes you have to crush it and that's exactly what the Cardinals did the four solo home runs to lead off the first four innings was a weird sort of coincidental uh, little thing then of course Nolan Arenado almost making the best play any of us have ever seen I'm still baffled by the way that went down and Nunez had the ball too there was nothing more he could have done he had the ball in his glove it just got knocked out uh, on the collision at the plate, really, even but even as was, even with them not completing the double play, it was still one of the best plays uh, that any of us have seen in a while. The basket catch and the throw being on the money, absolutely stellar stuff there from Nolan Arenado, obviously. I mean, we, we're not surprised by it. He's going to win his seventh straight gold glove. And that's the thing that's funny is that we're not, surprised when he does stuff like that no matter how good it is and then the other fun storyline of the day it was kind of an interesting clubhouse because obviously they lost it wasn't close but they'd already won the series and there were so many fun things that happened like that play and the fact that Josh Fuentes got his first home run in the bigs and then about 20 minutes later his cousin got home run number whatever 217 or his 39th of the year it's just really funny like he even joked after the game like he got his 20 minutes of fame he he got you know he got to be the talk of the town for a nice 20 minutes there and then I had to take it back from him uh, really funny stuff uh, obviously none of us are going to stop talking about how they're cousins anytime soon those are just fun stories and I also thought uh, he played a, a pretty nice first base there was one play in particular. I thought Garrett Hampson looked really good at shortstop, actually. He made some nice plays over there. And he had one or two throws from awkward angles that he just let him go. And Fuentes made some really athletic, nice digs at first base. Uh, the kind we've been seeing Murphy whiff on for a lot of the season. And so for, for a minute, I thought it was McMahon. I had forgotten who was playing where. And I went, oh, great dig from McMahon. He's really got that long body and that good athleticism. And he went down, did the thing, and I went, oh, no, that's Fuentes, which is good. It's like when McMahon goes over and play third, and, and you forget that it's not Nolan. He makes a diving stop and throws it, and you go, wow, Nolan's so good. Oh, shoot, no, that was, that was McMahon. Um, it, it was kind of one of those for me. 
Uh, Hilliard had a really good over three, I thought, with three strikeouts. Like, if you're going to do it, Bud Black even brought it up after the game. I was like, I know the line doesn't look good. He went over three with three strikeouts, but he honestly could have walked in any of those at bats. He got called out on one pitch that was pretty borderline, but his last at bat there in the uh, ninth inning. Not even close. Not a strike. That should have been ball four. And he's getting, it seems like every time Hilliard goes up to the plate, he finds his way into a full count. He's seen a lot of pitches. He's drawn some walks. Um, you know, he's lining up the ball every once in a while. We're still waiting to see him show off that power a little bit more. But he's playing a solid center field, uh, looking good. The Rockies did go with the young lineup in the final game, getting some work in for Daza Nunez. I thought caught a really good game, hit one screaming line drive into the gap, uh, also drew a walk. And so, again, I think Nunez... Uh, continues to show you that he is ready for the big leagues. He is auditioning for a job next season as much as anybody out there, and, and I think he's having a pretty darned good audition. So we'll continue to keep our eyes on all this stuff. I'm going to be leaving a few moments from now as I record this to get down to the clubhouse, check out the lineups, see what's going on with your Colorado Rockies for this final stretch and and keep seeing what we can see out of these young guys and and glean what we can we're all going to be on Hoffman but if he throws one more really good game tonight it's time to start seriously thinking about what kind of role he could play on next year's team if this is for real and and again and I know it would only be what that make it three in a row where he's been pretty solid but the stuff has always been there that's the thing with Hoffman it's a little bit different than with some of these other guys the he's got top of the rotation stuff it's just can he figure out the mental and mechanical aspects of pitching properly and if it's starting to click for him this is not a ship you want to abandon right as it's about to set sail so Let's keep our eyes on that tonight. I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about. Also, I'm going to have a lot of guests on the next couple of episodes of the podcast. Uh, Corey Sullivan's going to be on with us talking about defense and robot umpires. And then we're going to have a huge panel conversation featuring an all-star cast of Colorado Rockies reporters talking about the history of the Coors Field narrative as I wrote about on bsndenver.com. So hopefully you're all subscribers. Go and read the top 10 most egregious moments in the history of the Coors Field narrative uh, so that you're, you've got your, your sort of base for the conversation that we're going to be having. And I, I suspect that'll be at the very least a two-part podcast. We're going to jump deep into it. It's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you all for listening in today. Make sure you're following us on social media at Drew Creaseman, at Patrick D. Lyons, and of course at BSN Rockies. Give us a like, share, and subscribe on whatever podcast app you happen to be using and Facebook and all of those good things. Uh, head over to bsndenvermerch.com to get one of these fancy, cool new T-shirts that we got going around, especially if you happen to be a college fan. Those are pretty fantastic. And, uh, you know, make sure you're drinking your Breck brews and you're still watching your Colorado baseball, heading over to Total Bev, doing the things that are good to do because... As much as it's been a frustrating season, we still only have a little bit of baseball left, and then it'll be over. We'll be watching the postseason. We'll be paying attention to some of that, but Rockies baseball is nearing its end, and that's always a sad thing. So let's try to enjoy the what season we have left together while well, all of you out there continue to be absolutely awesome. I promise you that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. 
This episode on the BSN Podcast Network is brought to you by Total Beverage. With more than 70,000 square feet between their Westminster and Thornton locations, there's literally no drink you can't find. I love Total Beverage. I go there probably once a week. That's BSN Sales Director Lindsay Sauer. She's a regular at Total Beverage. I know when I go in there that I am going to get uh, the best bang for my buck, hands down. And if you can't make it in the store, don't worry. Just go to totalbeverage.net and place an order online. I have also taken advantage of their delivery service. They always give me, um, you know, an hour window. I don't have to wait around all night or all day. And make sure to like the Total Beverage Facebook page to see weekly specials. Remember, for wine, beer, spirits, go to Total Beverage.